So thank you, thank you very much for accepting my invitation and accepting accepting to be on my show. Sir, I can't hear you. No, I can't hear you. Can I call you back? Sure. Okay. I can't hear you. I can see you, but I can't hear you. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I can, I can hear you. I, I can hear you now. We are connected. Ah, you can hear me now. Yes. Fantastic. Sorry about that. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't used Skype in years, and so my communication set, nothing is set up for it. <clears throat> no, no problem, Jeff. Uh, firstly, uh, thank you very much for accepting my invitation and accepting to. Be on my show. Sai, you're very welcome. It's my pleasure. So I've gone through a profile, and uh, you work, uh, you worked, and you work uh, in different professions, and you you are a co-founder. So I thought to tell about you and the work that you are doing to my audience, at, uh, and uh, uh, share your experience. Sure. The uh, well, you know, let me, uh, you know, I can tell a little bit about my background, um, but. Maybe what's more interesting is a little bit of a story that's sort of set the stage for my career. And when I was uh, when I first became a, a people manager many, many years ago, um, you know, I recall that, you know, I was very proud of, the, of becoming, a, you know, a manager. And, you know, there was the announcement and all that stuff. And um, within the first few months of my new role, if there were 10 things that you shouldn't do as a new manager. I think I did them all. It was, I was a mess. <laughs> and, and, you know, fortunately, you know, and I still, and I, uh, you know, I, I still, the performance of the team suffered and um, as did the people. In fact, I still feel bad for those people. Fortunately, I had a, um, a very good um, manager um, you know, a boss who was a tough coach and a good mentor and who believed in me. And he helped me get through that and, and sort of and really make things right. But the lesson that I took away from that was uh, from that experience was the critical importance of trust and the ability to uh, to be able to understand and influence people's behavior in order to see both the best performance and ensure people's well-being, ensure that you know, they can be the best that they can be. So that was the foundations for me of this lifelong journey into leadership. Um, <clears throat> and that from there, I went on to most of my background is in, the, uh, is in operating roles um, as, you know, in both large companies in corporate vice president and, and general manager roles um, as the in CEO um, several um, startups and early stage companies. Um, I along the way uh, and did that for about 25 years actually had the privilege of working with teams across that variety of organizations helping to develop people 
more recently, I spent 10 years in Asia working with teams um, across the Asia Pacific region around the world as I earned a, a doctorate um, in ex an executive doctorate in organizational leadership. Um, I wrote a couple of books, founded a couple of companies that are specifically focused on uh, dealing with the challenges that leaders face today, um, and especially today in a uh, a world that has the world of work that has rapidly changed in terms of many organizations um, seeing their workforce move into a hybrid or remote environment, and that creates a whole lot of new challenges um, for leaders. So that's kind of in a nutshell my uh, my background and where it all began with a uh, <clears throat> with a disastrous start to leadership um, that turned out to fuel this um, interest this awe at the complexity of, of what it means to be a leader and the impact that good leaders have um, on, you know, on the businesses they're part of, as well as the society they live in. So you're from? So I, I uh, good question. I grew up, my childhood was in the eastern part of the U.S., um, in the state of Pennsylvania, near the city of Pittsburgh. Um, but the two places I've lived the longest were uh, Boston in the U.S. and Singapore um, in Southeast Asia. In between, it has ranged from Miami to New York um, to Atlanta, most recently uh, uh, Park City um, in the state of Utah. And during the course of the pandemic, I've spent the last couple of years in Scottsdale, Arizona just about in north of uh, Phoenix. So in this 25 years, uh, you are into uh, leadership and you're understanding the plus and minus of uh, 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 of the things uh, in organizations. What what are the common things that you understood and what uh, that need to have in order to make things possible? Ah, <clears throat> big question. So maybe we can break that down into a into a few uh, into a few pieces. I think that um, you know. Uh, let me go back to that you know, not so great beginning, my own beginning. And you know, as I mentioned, you know, I took away from that um, the the lesson around trust and the importance of understanding, uh, really understanding people, uh, their behavior, how to influence it. Um, but probably the biggest lesson, you know, if I were to give advice to my younger self. Um, as I came into that first role, that first manager, first people leadership role, was it's, it's, not about, it's not about me. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in, you know, I'm the boss, you know, even of this little team. And then later on in much more senior roles, it's not about you. Um, it's about your ability to enable people to do their best and be their best. And when you put the spotlight on serving others, on, you know, being, you know, authentically being there to help ensure that you get the very best out of the most important resources you have in your organization, which is the, your human capital, your talent. Um, that's the key, um, you know, it, it's sort of at a very foundational level, because when you do that, you build trust. And, and trust by far, and particularly in today's world, but trust is the essence of what it means, you know, to, to, to be effective as a leader, your ability to build trust, foster it, and sustain it within an organization, within an organizational culture, is what difference between great organizations and high-performing teams and those that get mired in mediocrity. So what, what is that particular point that made you to become so successful today? Ah, well, you know, I think first off, you know, success is often in the eye of the beholder. Um, so, you know, the successes that I've enjoyed have been the ones that um, when I have been able to help others, um, to help them realize their ambitions, their dreams, whether it's was, you know, mentoring a young, you know, a young, a new young leader or helping transform an organization. Um, but I think that, you know, for me personally, um, you know, the, that has been the essence of, of what I would consider to be success. 
there's a lot of measures to success out there. You know, a title, money, the, you know, those things come and go. Um, there was a very, uh, there was a, a, a very distinguished leader who recently passed away. His name was Colin Powell. He was the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff at one point of the U.S. military. He was also, um, uh, he held his held many senior government uh, positions. But as a as a military leader, what Colin Powell observed was he, his advice in his observation was that as a leader, you should never let your ego get so close to your position that when your position goes, your ego goes with it. And what he meant by that was, you know, these things, you know, you, you get titles, you get money, you know, they can be gone tomorrow. You know, what, what, we, what you have as a person, what you have as a leader is, you know, who you are, your integrity, um, you know, your, your, your trustworthiness, your honesty, the things that make you up. And, and for me, that's, that's what success is. It's maintaining that core of who I am in whatever role, you know, I've done in the past or, you know, what I'm doing today or what I may do in the future. So let's talk about the challenges of uh, uh, the hybrid and uh, the uh, 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 workplace. So uh, what do you say about this? Uh, good, very good question. You know, the, let's, let's, I'm a, I'm, I'm a history buff. You know, I, I love particularly business history and, and, and world history, actually. So let's, I want to go back in time a little bit to, you know, and this is interesting and, and, a lot of times people don't think about this, about leadership in the context of history. If we go back to of the Industrial Revolution and up through the modern corporation, though what that revolution drove was a very top-down, hierarchical approach to leadership. You know, you have the bosses at the top, you have all the people in, you know, in, within your organization, and what comes with that is, you know, for the bosses, you get big paychecks, you get big offices, you get, get you know, you, get, you, you have all of these things that reinforce this hierarchical structure of an organization. And then what happened in 2019, right? In March of 2019, the world got turned upside down. Suddenly, bosses were sitting at their home office or you know, in their bedroom you know, on a table or you know, with kids running around. And the entire world of work was transformed, not by technology. It wasn't the digital revolution. It wasn't, it wasn't you know, going way back, the steam engine or those things. It was a virus, right? And, and a virus, um, the you know, COVID-19, fundamentally drove a shift in the way people think about work. And the impact of that has been that, you know, by shifting a lot of work remotely or into a more hybrid mode, the way in which you lead, you have to rethink it. You have to change it because you no longer have either the trappings of the power, right? Nobody cares where you're sitting in your home office, right? It's not, you know, they don't have to go up the elevator to the big office and, you know, the suite of the executive suites, all that's gone. And... You, suddenly, your ability to motivate people, to, to get them to stay engaged in their work, requires a very different set of skills. Because in a, high, in a remote world, in a remote work world, um, you have a, there's a greater tendency for teams to get better as, as the, you know, the tribe, the team you're in. But you tend to stop working as well with other teams. It becomes more difficult and communications becomes more challenging. You know, if we're on Zoom or, or, you know, some people use Skype, we're using Skype, but Zoom calls, Skype calls, Teams, whatever it might be, um, you know, that's a whole lot more difficult to read people's emotions, to understand where they're coming from. And you, you jump from call to call to call. So communications becomes more difficult and little misunderstandings can easily become amplified. And then, you know, the, the third, the third element is that um, we all as humans have biases. They're called cognitive biases. The way we, 
you know, the way we react to someone based on, you know, their maybe where they're from or their accent or their skin color or the or their role in an organization. We have biases and cognitive biases can also be amplified and can be more difficult to detect in this hybrid and remote environment. So suddenly you have as a leader, you have a very different context within which you still have the same job to get done. You still have to hit your revenue numbers. You still have to get your product shipped. You still have to manage staff, bring new people on board, get them up to speed. But there's no, you know, there's no office environment. There's no, there's no hierarchy within which to do that. And psychologically, that's extremely challenging for many managers. So what is world before COVID and after COVID? Mm, explain, ex tell me what you mean by that. Uh, the world uh, is shifted to virtual world completely. Well, I think that, and I have to be careful with that because obviously not every, not Every job, you know, is and not every job can be remote. Um, you know, I mean, what we're doing, right, is completely virtual. You're in India, you know, I'm in, I'm in, um, in, in you're in, where are you in India? Uh, I'm from South India, the city called Hyderabad. And Hyderabad, oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, I've, I've spent a little bit of time in, in the state of Kerala. Uh, most of the time I've been in central northern India, uh, many, many times. But um, so you're in India, you know, I'm in the U.S. Um, we're doing this virtually. Many jobs, of course, you know, you have to be physically on site and, and you know, in that environment. But in some industries, the technology industry, the healthcare industry, the finance industry, that those industries um, that where people can work remotely, uh, the big change is that a lot of people suddenly realized that their lives were better. Um, their work lives were better because they didn't have to be commuting for an hour back and forth to work. Um, that they didn't, you know, they weren't involved in, you know, in conversation situations, meetings and that, that weren't a good use of their time. So suddenly the quality of people's lives changed. For many, for the better, by having the ability to work remotely, either all the time or some of the time. So that was the big shift, is that millions of workers suddenly discovered the dawn of a new era in work, that they didn't have to commute to an office, and that the office wasn't the epicenter. The office isn't the place where, you know, where culture happens. Culture happens you know, between people. Um, it's the way we treat one another, the values we have, and the way that we live those every day. And that doesn't take an office building um, to do. So that's the big change. Uh, what about the productivity and construction and remote work? Mm. Good question. So that, and there's been a lot of research, you know, that they, because of the size of this globe, this, you know, global change in the way people worked, it provided a huge amount of data. So behavioral scientists like myself and, and, and others, um, and two interesting things happened. One, productivity on the whole went up. So and there, are, you know, there are studies that say in some instances that wasn't the case, but in general, people's productivity went up. Their sense of, of well-being, of sort of being happy about what they're doing actually went up. But there have been challenges, the, the ones I mentioned earlier, the, you know, around silos being formed, around communications, um, and around biases um, becoming amplified in organizations. So you know, there are dark sides to it. it is, and for leaders, it's harder. You know, as, as a leader, it is harder to understand how to, how to motivate your people, how to keep them on, you know, to keep people together on task across teams in order to drive innovation and get things done, that has become more difficult. So like anything, you know, the, the positives, you know, 
and challenges um, in this sort of new world of remote and hybrid work. But on the net, for most people, um, they say they don't want to go back. They don't want to go back to commuting into the office five days a week. Not everybody, but most people have said, I don't want that. You know, this works. The challenge for leadership is figuring out then how to, you know, if that's what your people want, how do you make that work uh, for the organization? How do you continue to, you know, achieve your mission um, when your workforce is now distributed with a different set of motivations, a different set of values? So what is the behavioral uh, change that uh, that happened after COVID? Ah, yeah, good question. Again, um, so the biggest, well, there's two sides to it. The biggest behavioral change from a, from a workforce standpoint was, of course, everybody's remote. Uh, and today, you know, with, with the variance and, you know, and, a lot of companies, it's still a, it's more of a hybrid type of environment. Uh, again, particularly in the you know in the tech world and and you know and uh, tech industries. So, you know, from a behavior standpoint, workers have had to learn how to uh, stay productive and efficient, dealing with um, you know being remote. From a leadership standpoint. The challenge is, and the behavioral challenge, is that for a lot of leaders, particularly those who grew up in that hierarchical corporate, you know, you know post-industrial revolution world, their instincts are, I need to see people. It's, ca it's called a proximity bias. It's, it's, they believe they need to see people in the office in order to know that they're working, which of course is silly because the reality is that many people came into the office every day and they weren't productive. You know, they, they seemed, you know, they would found ways to seem like they were busy. They would, but human behavior is human behavior. And they were not necessarily any busier, whether they're sitting at a home office or if they're sitting in a, in a physical office. So from a behavior standpoint, the big challenge for leaders is how do you, how do you foster how do you ensure? How do you uh, ensure that you're keep you're unlocking everyone's potential? How do you keep culture intact um, in a distributed And how do you ensure people's well-being so that they stay motivated, engaged um, in their work? Those are the three really big challenges: unlocking potential, keeping culture intact, and ensuring people's well-being so that they stay happy, productive, you know, employees and don't just, you know, click on, you know, today changing jobs, you know, you're clicking off one Zoom and you're joining a different one. You know, it's, it, it actually becomes a lot easier um, to make those kinds of changes, which means for leadership, keeping people, keeping them, keeping them engaged, keeping them productive and keeping them on board is a bigger challenge. So how this uh, behavioral change uh, is uh, impacting the productivity and remote work? Well, when it's, um, again, two sides to it. You know, if, if leaders are unable, you know, if they don't really develop their skills in building trust and psychological safety, what's called psychological safety, it's people feeling comfortable in their, uh, uh, in their work environment with their colleagues, that they can bring their whole selves to work. If leadership isn't able to do that, then they have big challenges in terms of keeping productivity high and just keeping staff, preventing people from leaving. And a lot of companies are suffering from a large outflow of people because they struggle to maintain those foundations of high trust, and psychological safety inside of their organizations. Leaders who are very good at that, who have a high degree of competency, um, they tend to understand how trust works in an organization. So they, and, and, and that the core of that um, is people's expectations of them, 
of their teammates, of other teams, um, and the experience they're having. And leaders who are, you know, who today are being successful are very good at seeing the gaps between what their people are expecting of one another, them and others, the experience they're having, and they get really good at closing those gaps. And they do that based on a set of very clear values um, that they uphold and live every day in the organization. And that combination of of values-driven leadership with an understanding of how to build trust and psychological safety, seeing those gaps and close them, that's the big behavior difference um, among leaders, executives, you know, through, you know, first level team leaders, people who get good at that, people who get very good at understanding and influencing people's behavior because they're helping them, you know, close those gaps. Those are the one, those are the people who are thriving today. Um, Those who are unable to do that, who are really struggling with it, um, you know, their, their organizations, their people are struggling, their turnover is higher. Um, and you have trouble attracting um, talent. Uh, you have trouble attracting, you know, the best and brightest because today, if you're a remote, if you're working remote or, or hybrid, you've got a lot of choices um, that you didn't have two years ago. So uh, what about the leader role uh, in this remote work? How, how, uh, uh, how it is uh, creating impact and uh, how it is... Uh, uh, the, the the management and also the time management uh, in an organization. Yes, yeah, so you know, again, I think that um, the there's two sides to it. The dark side is of of time management and product productivity is that it can be very it can be difficult for work you know for the workforce to break down their day between when does your day start? When does your day end? Um, because if it's all virtual, you know, you and I, you know, we can be on a call at any time of the day or night. So one of the things that people have had to learn is how to segment their, um, their days and their time into this is my work day. And, you know, this is when I turn off, turn off Zoom. This is when I turn off Skype. I, you know, I'm not at work now. I'm with my family, I'm with my friends, I'm at home. And that, for some people, is difficult. For others, they're actually pretty good at it. And the best organizations, once again, they have remote playbooks. You know, they, they make very clear what's expected of people, you know, when you should be on and when you should be off. And by making that expectation clear, it reduces people's anxiety. It gives them the freedom to the autonomy to say, ah, I'm off work now. You know, no one is expecting me to be on at nine o'clock at night. Now I can, you know, if, if I choose to do that, you know, that's, that's your, you know, your personal, you know, I want to work, I want to work on reports, whatever. But the company has made clear that, you know, this is the, you know, this is, this is off time. And we don't have, there's no, I mean, except that maybe in an emergency, there's no expectation of that. So, you know, I think things like time management and um, ensuring downtime, at, you know, versus work time. Again, the best organizations, they've got playbooks that clearly, you know, lay out the expectations. They, they don't leave it up to people guessing at it or to individual managers you know, who may be driving their team, you know, and or sending messages at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, and that that's always been a challenge. But again, the best organizations make clear the general values they're going to operate by. And then there's always exceptions. I mean, that's the reality of the work world. Things happen. You know, if you're running a global company, something's happening in Singapore that you need to get, you know, an executive out of bed because it's got to be dealt with fine. But that's an exception, not the rule. The rule is, you know, the workday ends here. We don't expect you to be on meetings past this certain time. It's a much healthier environment for the majority of employees. So that's the key. That's the key to the uh, time. And then, you know, what underlies all of that is trust. 
you know, you trust your people. You're not monitoring, you know, you know, when are they on, when are they off? You focus more on outcomes, not, you know, the, the time they're putting in sitting at a desk. That's ridiculous. Um, because, you know, people can sit at a desk all day. Even I can have my little green light on, you know, you, you know, I can, I can, you can see that, but I could be sitting here playing games if, you know, for all, you know, so you have to trust your people. You have to trust that they are adults, that they are there to make a difference, that they're motivated to, um, to achieve and be part of a team, you know, to, to, to reach the goals uh, that you've set out for them. And if they're not, then they're on the wrong team. You know, you need to find the right team for them or maybe a different organization. But um, again, at its, at its foundation, at its core, sits trust and creating an environment of psychological safety where people can thrive. So as a, as a leader, uh, the leadership role, uh, how, how do uh, you uh, maintain the, the values of the organization where you work uh, and uh, how do you uh, create things and how do um, you make uh, things possible uh, with the team that you have? And uh, like you said, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a different environment. It's a, it's a different environment. It's, uh, we, we don't know how, uh, what things are happening in different places. People are working in different places and sitting in, in different uh, uh, time zones also. That's uh, right. They're working from different countries. Exactly, exactly. And um, so let me, I, I've, I had the ex excellent observation uh, in question. In the course of my research, I had the privilege of um, working with a number of different um, uh, teams, very high-performing teams, um, both in the healthcare industry, ER, uh, trauma teams, but also in the, but also military teams, um, in special forces, um, special forces operators, and uh, and a, interestingly, a fighter pilot squadron. This was a, an Israeli fighter pilot squadron. So these are some of the best trained pilots in the world. And we, we were having dinner one night and talking about um, the, the, you know, the way, you know, trust and the way they operate. And one of the, 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 one of the squad members um, brought up the point and he said, you know, one of the things we don't do is we don't take our values for granted. We don't assume them. So they constantly, as part of their, certainly as part of their training and the, becoming the 1% of the 1% of applicants who ultimately become a fighter pilot, and even once they are part of this elite organization, they are constantly aligning and making sure that everyone is on the same page in terms of the core values of that team, of that organization. And that is one of the things I observe when I'm working with corporate, you know, with corporate organizations. So often, people take um, they take values for granted, and they simply assume that. And again, this is a cognitive bias, which gets surely in remote teams becomes even more challenging. Is you know. If I simply assume, Sai, that your, you know, your values and my values, we're on the same team, we must have the same values, we want the same things. You grew up in, in India. I grew up in the U.S. Our life experiences are very different. We come to the table as two unique individuals, two unique human beings. If a leader doesn't take the time to align and ensure that, you know, I understand that side, you know, what's your ideal team, you know, ideal team, what's your ideal, you know, what are the values that you want to operate by? What are mine? And then look at it from what are the organization's values? What are the core values of this organization? And it's all about aligning those with the purpose that we find, you know, why are we there? Why are we doing the work we're doing? So it's literally as simple as, aligning values and purpose between the individual, the team, and the organization, and taking an hour or two, once a quarter, to do that. Nobody does it. And so what happens is values get eroded at the edges, and they always get eroded at the edges. You know, and I, I've done, as I had mentioned at the outset, I've done several 
several startups. And I remember in, in this many years ago, but my first um, startup, and we grew from five to 50 plus people in a fairly short period of time. And when it was five people that we, you know, and, you know, we had a set of values that we worked by, you know, we talked about them. This is who we wanted to be as an organization. This was, and, and, you know, we were good. You know, it was a good team. As it grew, you know, by the time you hired the 25th person, the 30th person, the, suddenly, you know, I, and I was the CEO at the time, I, you know, I was no longer spending a lot of time with each member of the organization. You know, I always made sure, you know, it's, it's still small. I always made sure that I was, you know, I, I met, spent some time with, but the reality is you have a you know, leadership team. Their responsibility is to, um, to make sure that people you know, are living the values of doing that, but it begins to erode. And suddenly you have behaviors that are no longer or are counter to or aligned with what you want as an organization. And that's very human because it's, you know, that new person that came on board, they don't come on board saying, you know, having lived the values of your organization, you have to help them get there as a leader. You have to be very very mindful of that as a leader. And if you're not, then you run the risk of, again, your values getting eroded at the edges. And that's exactly what happens. And when you read stories of organizations, you know, who have these, you know, a, you know, a bank, you know, that, you know, or a company that has these core values and, and suddenly there's fraud, there's sexual harassment, there's, there's racial bias. It's like, well, they, they certainly don't say that's their values, right? That's nobody, that's, that would be crazy. And yet it's happening. Why? What's well, happening because as, as you've grown as an organization, you have people who have taken other values, maybe their own, maybe their bosses, they've brought it in. They're now living a set of values that aren't aligned with the organization. And it gets a lot of companies in trouble. So that by far, you know, at the core, um, when, and particularly when you go remote, staying on top of ensuring the alignment of purpose and values, individual, team, and organization. Do it every quarter, you know, at the very least. Make sure people are aligned, reinforce it, and then most importantly, you got to live it every day. That everybody lives it every day. It's not the boss's you know, the, the team leaders, the boss's job to enforce values, it's everybody's. And that was a lesson, again, from the special, for, the special forces teams I, I had the privilege of spending time with. Their message again and again was every operator owned, you know, has total ownership of the values of that team. That's why they trust each other with their lives every day when they go to work. That's what makes the difference. And it's a good lesson for uh, for business teams as well. So human behavior is changing information technology or information technology is changing human behavior? Ah, excellent question. The answer, of course, is both. But, you know, the technology itself has the ability to enhance, to amplify, um, to, to, you know, to make work easier to provide us with data to make better decisions you know machine learning things like so you know but at the end of the day it's technology and you know it, on the other side you have this incredibly complex neurobiological machine called a human being right and with all of our you know irrationalities and our emotions and all of that and, you know, there's, there's, it's the intersection of those two that both make life interesting and, you know, and create, I think, the biggest opportunities for, you know, as we, as I look forward in the future of work, that technology is going to continue to provide opportunities to better, you know, to, you know, to better communicate, to better interface, to better understand. But there is no substitute, you know, there's no technology that is going to, you know, enable, you know, people to trust one another better. 
that's going to create psychological safety because those are all driven by, you know, mille- you know, many, many millennia going back to the beginnings of, of sapiens um, of how we interact with one another as human beings. So, you know, I think that the best organizations, the best leaders are the ones who understand how technology can help complement um, and and ultimately extend our capabilities as leaders. But there's no substitute for being able to, you know, sort of connect with other human beings, you know, to have that high emotional intelligence that enables us to exhibit empathy um, and motivate people and, you know, and and get them and ensure their well-being so that they can thrive in whatever context they are. So to me, you know, it's a as long as it's treated as a complementary um, and symbiotic relationship, I think technology has enormous opportunities in, you know, in communications in training and in, in so many areas. Uh, the minute someone allows it to substitute for, you know, the human dynamics of teams and leadership, you're in trouble because, you know, it, there's just no way. And if you, have, you know, particularly when you, when you begin to understand a little bit about the, you know, neuroscience and the neurobiology and how we work as humans, you know, technology can be a compliment. It will never be a, it, at least not, I don't believe in our lifetimes, it won't be a substitute. Software behavior versus uh, human behavior. Hmm. Interesting question topic. I am not an expert in any way or in machine learning and artificial intelligence. I have a, you know, I'm a behavioral scientist. I have a strong bias around human behavior. I have a pretty good understanding of um, basic understanding of neuroscience and, and sort of the, the mechanisms of, of how we work. I think, again, you know, the the ability, machine learning, what can be done with artificial intelligence, I think we're just touching the edges of it. But, you know, there is this interesting question. And so I'm not going to be able to actually answer that in a, in a meaningful way other than, you know, when I look at when I look at leadership, when I look at trust, when I look at psychology, these elements, you bring in this you bring in the notion of consciousness. You know, and and particularly with when if you study biases, cognitive biases, because many of them are are non-conscious. You know, the way we react to people is not something we're actually cognitively. We're not thinking about it um, in a mindful way. We're reacting based on, you know, thousands of years of evolution and life experiences, things like that. So, you know, I think that again. You know, technology, software, I, I mean, I, I've built software companies. I have, you know, I have a huge belief in how you can combine neuroscience, behavioral science, and software to do things and help people um, be better um, at what they do, for leaders to be better at what they do. Consciousness, however, becomes a whole different animal because from a neuroscience, from a behavioral science standpoint, we don't really understand it. So... To think that we can therefore, you know, sort of uh, translate that and and often anthropomorphize it, make it human-like in in machine learning, um, which is a very different approach um, to learning knowledge and you know and 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 um, the way in which information is processed. I don't know. You know, I I do know that consciousness is something that is, um, you know, it is not well understood it's it's what may it's the magic in you know humanness and and who we are beyond the neurobiology and the neurochemistry and the trans you know all you know when you break people down down all the way down into their you know neurotransmitter neuropeptide electrical system then there's this thing you know spirit soul whatever you want to call it um i don't see that in the world of software again anytime soon you know i think it's it's there it's two fundamentally different um our architectures there and we don't understand our own very well let alone what that would mean in some artificial system so um yeah that didn't really answer your question again i uh, yeah I, I have no expertise 
um, in, in that side of things other than my own, you know, my own work, integrating elements of neuroscience and behavioral science into software, which is, you know, sort of at the, it's a very infant baby crawling stage of things compared to what some of the intelligence systems can do. Uh, connectivity, uh, connectivity between dots, uh, connectivity between thoughts of uh, human beings when when uh, there is physical presence and being together, working together uh, uh, in an organization and uh, uh, connecting through these systems, through these machines, uh, uh, connecting uh, the thoughts of each other, managing team, managing the entire organization through this uh, 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 remote system. So what is the difference? Well, you've won, probably one of the biggest differences is that reading, um, you know, in one-on-one, -on -one, it's actually not as difficult. But if you're in a, a meeting with, you know, eight people, reading the emotions and the reactions in a race is just more difficult when you're, you know, if you're, if you're in a room with someone, you can read there simultaneously, you pick up on a lot of cues, sometimes even subconsciously, you know, it's their eye motion, it's their body language, it's how they look at someone else. And, and we're processing all of this, um, often in the background as we're, you know, as we're, you know, working on a meeting topic, that is far more difficult in a virtual environment. So it requires us being more mindful and intentional again, about things like, how am I fostering trust on this team? You know, how am I being intentional about understanding where there may be gaps showing up between people or between teams and um, my closing those? You know, how, do, how, do, how am I ensuring psychological safety by making sure that, you know, there isn't bullying going on. There isn't, you know, people aren't, their biases aren't getting in the way of you know, how someone say, you know, is always being talked over on a Zoom call. And how do I deal with that? Because, you know, it's maybe they're a little bit introverted and you've got some other people who are, you know, not very kind. And as soon as that person begins to speak, they interrupt them. They talk over them, things like that. You have to be very mindful of that uh, because, again, in a, in a virtual environment, it's, it slips by much more easily than it does when you're sitting in the room. Um, just because you can't, you know, it's reading faces on little squares is harder than seeing what's actually happening, um, the dynamics happening within a team, within, a, within, within the environment. So that's, you know, for, for leaders and for team members themselves, that's a new set of skills um, they need to develop because um, reading, hum reading human interactions becomes more challenging. So what, what, what is a leader role in this remote work? Um, first off, you know, the basic role of the basic role of leadership, right? To help people, you know, to a group of people accomplish things they wouldn't have done by themselves together to, to reach a goal, that hasn't changed. What has changed is how you go about doing that, how, you know, how you're interacting with motivating, understanding, and, and ultimately accomplishing that, that has changed in, in all remote environments. Because again, you know, you have to just be, you have to be mindful of three basic things. One, you know, at, and at its core is trust and psychological safety, how you do that. But you have to be mindful of that, the values. So, so, this is, so this is a good sort of summary, right? Mindful of the values. Are, are people aligned in living those values and how that connects to their purpose, the purpose they find in their work? That's number one. Number two, it's how you motivate people. And you have to get very good at connecting where someone's, the purpose people are finding in their work with the greater work of the organization and the skills and competencies that, they're, that need to be developed to enable them to be successful in accomplishing that purpose. So that, that, and then giving them the freedom to do that. So it's a little, it's, it's something I, I, I 
called the motivational triangle, but it's purpose, it's capabilities or competencies and, and freedom or autonomy. And you have to manage that very effectively with each member of your team. So that, you know, I know what side, you know, I have, if I'm your manager side, I've got a good sense of where you find purpose in your work. I'm helping you achieve, you know, realize that by investing in your skills, your capabilities, and I trust you. I'm giving you the autonomy at the appropriate level to go do it. And, you know, I'm not micromanaging you. I don't, I'm not making you feel like I'm going to throw you under the bus by saying, Sai, here's a big job. Go do it. You know, come back in a month. And if you're successful, fantastic. If not, eh, you know, we'll find somebody else, right? That's very unhealthy. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's finding that. So that's values alignment uh, with values and purpose motivation, individual motivation and inspiring that. And then third is this whole idea around, you know, trust being uh, at the core of it is what people expect versus their experience and get very good at seeing that those gaps and closing them, you know, changing, you know, the putting in place the little behavior nudges that that move people in the right direction back to the values that keep them motivated. And as a leader, you need to really get good at that in a remote environment because you don't have the luxury of just bumping into somebody, quick conversations, you know, the water cooler kind of thing, you know, just pulling somebody, you know, you know, quickly, you know, to the side in the cafe. You don't have those. You don't have that. So you've got to be more intentional about those three fundamental skills that revolve around trust. And if you get good at that, the rest of it becomes much easier much, much easier. So which country people are great in uh, remote work? And uh, uh, obviously the, the food that they are taking also uh, impacts and influences uh, in their uh, behavior. Yes. So when you say what, what, kind, of, what kind of people, if just to What country people? Country, country or country? country? Oh, country. Oh, oh. You know, um, I've, I've had the privilege of working with remote and hybrid teams all over the world. You know, as I mentioned, most recently 10 years in, in Asia Pacific. It's not a, um, it has much more to do with whether someone is, um, are they empathetic? Are they conscientious? Do they have, you know, are they focused on the team? Uh, more than they are on their own, you know, you know, it's, it's not about me. It's about the team. Um, those are the people, it doesn't matter what country, those are the people that, that thrive in remote environments and work well. And it doesn't, again, if someone is, you know, if they're, if they're narcissistic, if they're, oh, they're focused on themselves, if they're just a jerk, I don't care where you're from, you're going to be toxic on that team. It doesn't matter. So it's much more at a human level than it is at a cultural, um, you know, where you're from, what your age is, all of those factors mean far less than those, un those fundamental characteristics of, you know, am I, you know, am I cut out for being part of a team? Am I conscientious about that? Am I, you know, do I have psychological safety in that team? Am I willing to stand up and say, hey, this is the way it should be, or I don't like this, you know, I'm values driven. If you have those characteristics on a team, you can be from every walk of life. And I've seen it. I've seen highly diverse teams. When they share those, those basic values and personality traits, they rock. Um, if they don't, it can be, you know, it can be as, you know, it can be an all, all India team. It can be an all Japan team. It doesn't matter. If, if people are jerks, that team is not going to function well. It doesn't matter. So, you know, it's human is, is really the answer, not so much the uh, um, cross-cultural. Now, with, and, I, and I'll say with one exception to that, that I learned as I was developing, doing leadership development work across around the world, but in Asia, is that the way a manager, the way a leader will lead in India is very different than in China or in the US or in the UK. Because, you know, that takes into consideration 
the cultural dynamics, the, you know, the, the social, the social um, conditions. And so I quickly learned that I, I could, I could not teach a manager from India anything about being a good manager in India. No way. You know, that would be, you know, what do I know? I'm, you know, I'm some kid from Pennsylvania in the U.S. Um, what I could do is help that leader understand those human dimensions of how to influence um, behavior and understand it that could be applied so that that if his if someone on his if he had suddenly had a regional team that had people from Japan and China and elsewhere, he would be equally effective as a leader because he was focusing on those human dynamics, those human dimensions, rather than just the, the ones that are uh, cultural. So the cultural dimension is real, particularly if you have a homogeneous, all one culture team. But the human dimensions are what enable you to operate as a leader with anyone, anywhere, um, and get the right people on your team. Do you observe uh, mental illness and remote work? I'm sorry, say again. Uh, do you observe mental illness in uh, remote work? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big topic, right? I think in wellness, well-being, um, and then sort of the, the challenges that people have um, with stress, um, with anxiety, with depression are very real. And the, during the pandemic, they have been amplified. Because not only have we had to deal uh, with the stresses of our regular work life, we've, you know, for many people, there have been a lot of, of very big external stressors, you know, in their families, you know, with health, with, with trying to figure out how to balance things. Um, you know, working from home may be great, but if you have, you know, three young children running around and you're trying, you know, and they're doing school, I mean, it's, it's hard for people. So, so I think, you know, as a manager, again, focus, but if you focus in on those human dynamics um, with empathy, you're better positioned to pick up on issues where you may need, to, you know, you may need to suggest to someone that they really do need to talk to, to you know, to an expert, to someone who, um, you know, can maybe help them if they're showing signs of anxiety or depression, things like that. And again, you know, as leaders in organizations, I think we have, to, you know, being having a strong sense of empathy and, and, and humanism is very important, but we're not, you know, we're not healthcare, we're not healthcare providers. We're certainly not, you know, very few people are trained in any way to deal with um, mental health issues, but we should get good at being aware of it and helping people to find the help that they need in order for them to be productive and, and you know, both um, in the work environment, but just, you know, in life and as a human being. So to me, that's a very, um, that's a very sort of human thing that, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a leader in an organization, you know, I don't, you know, again, I'm not a mental or physical health expert, but I, I have a responsibility for, paying attention and helping people find the help that they need. And that's been a big deal the last two years. A lot of people have, uh, you know, suffered from burnout and, uh, and it's after because of having to deal with so much. So as an executive, as an uh, entrepreneur and as a uh, leader and as a uh, behavioral uh, scientist, so what do you say about my work? Have you seen any videos of mine on YouTube? I have, I have, and and I I will tell you, Sai, what I love is that you um, you've got you know you've got a vision of of something you know you've you've got a vision of something you want to do right you're, you're creating this channel, and I watched some of your early videos and it's interesting you know you're you were very kind of quiet and you know I could tell you know it's not like you know you were trained as a professional interviewer etc. You're getting good. You really are. You're getting good. And you've got a smile that's just, you know, just lights up the lights up the screen. And I think that, uh, man, keep doing it. You know, you, you got you're you're creating value, I think, by getting people to um, 
to come on and provide others with a point of view. And I love it, really. I mean, that's, you know, I think, as others have said, that's, you know, you dropped me a note. I looked at, before I said yes, I looked at what you were doing, the videos and that, and said, you know, this is the spirit of, of being an entrepreneur, of creating something uh, and doing it from the heart. So, you know, I commend you for doing it. It takes courage to stick with it. And, uh, and I love it. It's been a privilege to uh, have the opportunity to chat with you. Uh, it's an honor, Jab. And uh, uh, at last, uh, what do you say to the leaders and the uh, entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and uh, CEOs or CTOs, any, any, any person who is into technology or corporate world or in any field who is watching and listening to our conversation from anywhere on this planet? Well, I think that, um, you know, that what's so important to recognize is that the world has changed and that being successful in this new era as it dawns of as work as the workplace and workforces change is to simply be open to rethinking leadership because most of the and this is someone you know I grew up in that same era you know through the you know, as a leader in the, you know, in the 90s and the 2000s and all my training um, was based on a model that has changed. And, you know, for me, the key has been really rethinking what does it mean to be a leader today if you're working particularly in a remote hybrid world? And even if you're not with a new gener a generation of millennials and Gen Z, people whose expectations of you and of work are different. So I think my, my one piece of advice would be be open to rethinking the way you're approaching and, you know, don't let it be. This is the way we've done it. You know, these these cognitive biases around this is the way it's been thinking it's the way it's going to be, because you're going to struggle if you do that. Really, you just between changes in, in the, the nature of work the changes in generations, the changes in technology, you know, for leaders today, it's a different game. Get good at it and you'll thrive. You know, and I think that's, um, you know, when you recognize that, that the, uh, that's not the office that where culture and, you know, performance and, and well-being, it's, that's, that's not where it's created. <clears throat> it's created in the human interactions built around trust and uh, psychological safety and, and, and creating well-being for people. Um, it's independent of any physical space. It's what you're able to do in this very authentic virtual, you know, authentic world where it's just people. There aren't big offices. There aren't, you know, there aren't the higher, it's no, it's if I'm, if I'm the leader, I'm on, I'm sitting here just like you are. So I need to get good at inspiring you and persuading you and understanding your behavior and influencing it as opposed to commanding it or controlling it. So that would be my message. So uh, I'm sure in coming days, uh, a lot of people will be uh, will get affected because of your contribution. And I'm sure it will create so much positive energy and it will create so much productivity, production, construction, and a lot of people will start doing things that they didn't do before because of uh, uh, your observation and uh, your motivation and uh, well, thank you. I, I, I hope uh, and I want uh, you to continue doing what you're doing and uh, also be the reason for a lot of uh, people's smile on this planet. Well, thank you, Sai. That's uh, starting with your beautiful smile and uh, yeah, and again, thank you for the opportunity, the privilege to you know uh, have this conversation, and for you creating this conversation. It's people like you that that help people like me give voice to ideas, and uh, you know, hopefully, you know, to make to quote the late Steve's job, that little dent in the universe where we make a difference. So, thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, can I put this video on my YouTube channel with your permission? Yes, you certainly can. And also, can I put this audio and video clip on my podcast, website, internet, social media, everywhere with your permission? Yes, you absolutely can. My pleasure. So thank you, Jab. Uh, keep doing and uh, keep doing what you love. 
I sure will. Sai, you do the same. Keep at it. You're building a uh, you're building a great um, library of knowledge and and I think you know of, of wisdom and thoughts that uh, will help change the world. So keep at it. Thank you for adding value again. Ah, you're very welcome. All Take right. Care. You have a good evening. All right. Thanks.